Today's shir will begin five lines from the top of Daf Lamed. On the side of the Gemara, you will notice that we have a Nosei slash Mivne heading. And we also indicate that it's Adomid base. In other words, this discussion uh, continues, uh, covering all of this Omid and spilling onto the next Omid as well. We feature here Hey or Hamisha Tanoim, five Tanaic opinions. That when something reaches a Shani level of Tumah, if it's Chulin, it will not create a third level in Chulin. In other words, a Shani can affect a piece of Truma, a piece of Kodshim, of sacrificial meat, but a Shani will not affect another piece of Chulin. Just by way of general disclaimer, as far as today's Shi'ur is concerned, it is predicated on a well-founded knowledge of our previous year, Daf Choftes. Uh, so if you're a first-time listener, by all means, listen to our previous year in order to have a foundation for what we're going to say today. For those who heard our previous year and understood it, uh, we're not going to repeat um, uh, the, the basic points that we covered in our previous year, but we're going to work with the assumption that you're familiar with them. So that if things appear to be a little unclear because of, uh, we'll say, lack of explanation, understand that we're basing ourselves on our previous shear. So now we turn to the Gemara. Omar Rav Asi, Omar Rav, the Amri Law, another version of names, Omar Rabo Ben Isi Omar Rav. And now here is a list of five Tanoim. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yosif, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Lozer, Rabbi Eliezer. Kulu, Sviruluhu, they all are of the opinion, the Ein Sheni Oisa Shlishi Bechulin, that something that is Tomei to the tune of a Sheni level of Tumah, when it comes into contact with another piece of Chulin, it, the other piece of Chulin will not be affected. The diamonds, as you understood from our introductory remarks, highlight each one of these names. So, if you just skim ahead, you can see immediately of Rabbi Meir, a few lines later, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Lozer, and then at the bottom of the, uh, close to the bottom of the Omid, Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Meir Disnan. What did Rabbi Meir say that reveals to us that Ein Sheni Oisishlishi? The, the, uh, the following Tanaic source says, Kol Haton Biasmayim Midivrei Soifrim. All those that require immersion in a mikveh on a rabbinic level, Midivrei Sofer means a rabbinic stringency is imposed on whatever case uh, the source has in mind, the stringency being that they have to be immersed. There's a, otherwise, there's a rabbinic level tumah. Rashi cites some of the examples. Uh, it's not important for us right now to, to get into the examples, but just realize that these items or these situations that require immersion, midivrei sofrim, they have a, an a assumed shani level of tumah. And you can see that in Rashi, basically across from here, 
we've dashed underlined that point in the Rashi Kulam Shniyam Hit Inum. They were laden with the status of a Shani level Tumah. So now, those things, those situations, uh, the most common of these situations are unwashed hands. Everyone is familiar, I'm sure, with the need for washing one's hands before eating bread. The washing of hands removes Tumas Yodayim. Otherwise, the hands are considered a Shani level of Tumah. So, those things that are rabbinic, uh, that um, rabbinically need immersion or need purification, metame es hakodesh upoisel es hatruma umuter bechulin uvemaiser divrei rebbe meir. The main point right now is muter bechulin. We described the tone biasmayim are those things that require. Uh, immersion or purification through water, they have a they have a shiny level tumah. Notice that if if one of those examples comes into contact with chulin, muter b'chulin, the the remains unaffected, indicating, as far as we said before, that there is no third level tumah. Shiny doesn't create a shlishi in chulin. At, nor in Meiser, according to Rabbi Meir, the Chachamim Osrim b'Meiser. There's a technical machlokis in this source between Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim regarding the do these things affect Meiser? Meiser referred to as Meiser Sheni, the tithe that is taken off of one's produce once every uh, was a four out of the uh, seven year uh, seven years of the Shemitah cycle, first and second, fourth and fifth years. That, that produce is to be eaten in Yerushalayim. It has a certain level of sanctity. Do these things that require bias mayim, from ruin or metame meiser? So that's a machlokis. Uh, let's just go over uh, some other points in the source we didn't explain yet. We said that these things that require bias mayim, from metame sakurish. That means that we used the example before of the hands. Uh, the hands. Uh, will, if they touch sacrificial meat and have not been uh, purified in water, so they will make the sacrificial meat uh, tome, and it, that sacrificial meat in turn can metame something else. So that if the hands are a shani, the sacrificial meat would become a shlishi, and that sacrificial meat could then metame another piece of sacrificial meat, making it a ravi. Posel satruma means that the Again, we can use the hands example. If that, if though, if a person with his unpurified hands, unimmersed hands, touches truma, he ruins the truma. But that truma won't affect something else. It's the the tuma stops there. Let's go on in the Gemara. Rabbi Ha Dalmoran. Rabbi was the focus of our discussion in our previous year. Hence, the Gemara says. As far as Rabbi Yossi is concerned, 
it's in accordance with what we have said already. And here the Gemara says a little bit more. De'im isay, if it were so that Rabbi holds that there is a Shlishi Bechulin, if you recall from our previous Shuran Dav Rabbi had addressed the issue from where do you know that there is a Ravi Bakoidish? And he presented us with a Kalvachomer, uh, starting with Mechusu Kippurim, and derived the idea of a Ravi Bakoidish. Now, if it were so that Rabbi acknowledges there is such a thing as Shlishi Bechulin, well then, Lysi he could have extended the chain of Tuma transmission even further than he did. He could have demonstrated that, well, if there's a Shlishi Bechulin, that means that you could create a Ravi Bechuma and even a Chamishi, a fifth level Bechodesh. But when you look back at Rabiosi, you see him describing Kodesh as reaching only a fourth level. That's predicated on the idea then that Rabiosi says that the Chulin itself can reach only a Shani level of Tumah and not any more. Rabbi Yoshua Desnan. Rabbi Lozaro, may we have here two Tanaic opinions, but we want to focus in on Rabbi Yeshua who's the second opinion in this source, and we're going to learn more laws of rabbinic defilement. In this source, we deal with a person that eats a certain quantity of food that, become, became to, that had become Tomei. How does that food affect the person that's eating it? Uh, on a Torah level, Tomei food would not affect a person, would not metame an individual. But these are rabbinic laws. Let's continue. A person who eats, means food. There's a, a verb and a noun over here. So you have is the verb, was a, uh, is a, well, maybe it's a, call it an adverb. That's, it's a, the action of eating. It's one who is eating. First level food. Rishon means the person himself becomes a Rishon level of Tumah. Shani, Shani. If you eat food that's a Shani, you become a Shani. Shlishi, Shlishi. And if you eat a third level Tumah food, you become a Shlishi. Uh, I always try to remember Rabbi Lozer by the saying, you are what you eat. So if you ate a Shlishi level food, you become a Shlishi level of Tumah. Rabbi Yeshua Oymer, According to Rabbi Yeshua, we wouldn't be able to say you are what you eat, because you here you see, if you're eating food that's Rishon, or food that's Shani, you become a Shani. So that even though the food might be first level Tumah, you drop down to a Shani. Uh, we're not going to get into the reasons behind Rabbi Yeshua, why he says what he does. <clears throat> that is discussed elsewhere. You can see that in, uh, in Maseches Chulin, a more elaborate discussion. But uh, for our purposes, we continue in the source. If you eat Shlishi, now we have to point out ahead of time that this is a reference to you're eating Chulin. Up till now, we described you're eating chulin, that's a first level tumah, or chulin, that's a second level tumah. And here we continue with reference to 
Chulin that's a third level Tuma. Now that's very surprising because we just said before that Rabbi Yoshua is one of those that holds that the Shani doesn't make a, a Shlishi Bechulin. We'll explain that later. But for the time being, you're eating a Chulin that's a third level Tuma. What happens to the person? Shani Bekidish. V'ein Shani Betruma. It's a very unusual halacha, but it you, the, as the eater, you, sh, it, you shoot up to becoming a sheni, but only with regard to kodesh, with regard to sacrifices. That means, I don't know, practically speaking, if you ate third level chulin food, then, as a sheni, but kodesh, that means if you touch another piece of, let's say, of some sacrificial meat, that sacrificial meat will now become a shlishi, and it, in turn, can make can ruin another piece of sacrificial meat, making it a revi level of tuma. However, by eating shlishi of chulin, you don't become a sheni with regard to truma. You basically you wouldn't affect truma. And here is the here is the I guess the significant point. This whole idea of shlishi making you into a shani bekodesh, and, and we described you were eating chulin that was a shlishi level of tumah, that is bechulin shenasu altaras truma. It's a very, I'll say, specific situation. This is a person that, in all likelihood, he's a kohen. He wants to develop a lifestyle of, uh, let's say, protection or uh, routine of purity. So, what does he do? He accepts upon himself a type of, we'll say, a type of vow that he treats his chulin as if it were truma. So that he would be very protective of his chulin, not allowing it to become Tomei in the same way that he would be very protective of truma, which is very sensitive to uh, becoming Tomei. It's forbidden to eat truma Tomei, for example. He, this source, Rabbi Shua, this source is referring to a person, it's a unique case, where he treats his chulin as if it is truma. So if you treat your chulin as if it's truma, and that means that, well, you're, just like truma can reach a, a, a shlishi level of tuma. Your chulin can also reach a shlishi level of tumah, but it's only because you're treating it as if, or you're treating your chulin with the same standards that you treat truma. What about standard chulin that's owned by non-kaihanim who uh, don't live such a uh, protective and cautious existence? Ah, oh, well, that kind of chulin would never become a shlishi. And that's what the Gemara points out. Altara satruma in. And using the Girs of Rashi, we read, Chulin Gradi Lo. In order to discuss a third level of Chulin, it's only in the context of one who treats his Chulin with the same purity levels as one would treat Truma. But Chulin Gradi means standard Chulin. No, there is no third level. Alma Kosovar. This shows you that Rabbi Yeshua holds Ein Shani Oisa Shlishi Bechulin. That Chulin uh, that has reached a Shani level of Tumah, if it touches another piece of Chulin, the other piece of Chulin will remain unaffected. It doesn't become a third level. 
Rebbe Elozar, the Sanya. Rebbe Elozar also holds what? Ein sheni yoisishlishi b'chulim. As it says, Rebbe Elozar Oimer, Shloshton Shovim. The three are all the same. What do we mean by that? Harishon, a first level uh, Tumah, Shebekidish, Veshebechulin, Veshebetruma. That means if you have sacrificial meat or chulin food or truma tithes, that became a Rishon Latuma. What effects does it have? What can it do by way of Tuma transmission? That means that, let's use a, as your starting point some chulin that's a Rishon level Tumah. It will impart Tumah two levels down. That means it will make a Shani, and the Shani will make a Shlishi. And that Shlishi has the power to go one more step, but it will stop there at that fourth level, that's upoisel echod b'kodesh. That's, that, that's called revi b'kodesh. And hence the word posel is used because the, the, the defilement stops at that point. What else do, can we say about a reshone of either kodesh, chulin, or truma? What else can we say? In the realm of truma, metama echod upoisel echod b'truma. That means that if the reshone of uh, any of those items that we mentioned, Hulin, uh, Kodesh, or Truma, touches a piece of Truma. So the Truma will become uh, Shani, and it can puzzle, it can, it'll transmit Truma one more step, but it will stop there, if you're talking about Truma. And here's the main point. Upoisel echod b'chulin. There is uh, no further steps. Namely, if you have some reshown food matter that's Kodesh, Chulin, or Truma, and it touches Chulin, what happens? It's, it, the Chulin, it becomes a Shani, but that's it. It doesn't affect any, any further, any more. It won't be able to affect another piece of Chulin. What do we see? Ain Shani, Oisishlishi, B'Chulin. Rabbi Eliezer Desnan. Where do we see Rebbe Lezer holding Ein Sheni Oise Shlishi? This fifth source, the fifth Tana, Rebbe Lezer, deals with the topic of Hafroshus Chala. This is a tithe removed from dough given to Kohanim. And Chala has the same status as Truma. The source will discuss the need of removing the Chala tithe for dough that has become defiled. If you're going to remove or tithe the defiled dough itself, then the challah that you're removing from it itself will be tome, and the coin will lose out insofar as he will have to burn it. It's like truma tomeo. It's something you burn. You cannot eat it. What's the solution, therefore, if you have some dough that's become defiled? The idea is, take another piece of dough that is tohor, that has not become defiled yet, and you haven't tithed it yet. So you have, we'll say you have a 
a bowl of tohor, untithed dough, you remove the required amount that's uh, needed for the challah tithe, and it's you'll be taking off enough. We don't have to get into the details, 124th or 148th. These are details, but there's a certain amount, certain percentage that's required to take off of dough. You take off the necessary amount that will cover the, uh, in addition to the tohor dough, it'll cover the tome dough. Our focus in this discussion is you're going to be taking off enough tohor dough that you eventually will declare as a halal tithe to exempt the tomei dough. The problem over here is, is that in tithing, the tithe has to be next to, or maybe even more accurately, has to be in contact with the item being tithed. But <laughs> it would be quite self-defeating over here if you're going to take the challah from tohor dough and attach it to the tome dough. You'll end up ruining that piece that you're going to be declaring <clears throat> as challah. So, in this source, we'll discover a method. And the name or the, 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 uh, the halacha is referred to here, this idea of being connected is Torimina Mukov. Mukov means next to or attached to. And once again, the halotai that I'm removing from the tohor dough is going to exempt the tome batter, the tome dough. And we have to work out a way that the halotai is in, uh, in contact with the Tome dough. So here, um, if you will forgive the pun, we want to have you want to have your cake and eat it too. And let's see how we accomplish that. Namely, that you'll be able to tithe a challah tithe that will remain tor and at the same time fulfill the requirement of being min hamukov. Tisnan. The chalotayt can be removed from, uh, or separated from tohor dough in order to exempt some tome dough that you have. Ketzad, how do we describe this? He has two batters, two doughs. One is tohor and one is defiled. Noitel kidei chalot he should take kedechala means a sufficient amount of dough to constitute a halotith, and you take that from a batter from isa from dough that hasn't been tithed yet. Otherwise, you would be taking from something that's poter alachiv, which is not acceptable. So, and what do you then do? The no Note we have here Roman numeral number one. There's going to be a second version later. This is. A Mishnah later, we're going to be quoting from a Brisa, a different type of Tanaic source. Here it says, So you, you set up a type of row over here. You've got your Tomei dough, and then 
Pochos Mikabetza means uh, an amount of tohor dough that is less than an egg quantity. And you take that Pochos Mikabetza of tohor dough, put it next to the tome dough, and then next to this Pochos Mikabetza of tohor dough, you put your challah tithe. Kedei Litol Min HaMukov. With this, we've established a, a sense of connection, of continuity uh, between the Tome batter and the Chala dough, the dough that's going to be declared as Chala to exempt this Tome batter. And the connection is made by taking a small amount of Tohor dough and putting it between the two. And if you do that, so then you're being noitel minamukov, where you're fulfilling the idea of having the tithe connected to that which is being tithed. We continue at the top of Omid Beis, v'chachomim oisrim. The chachomim do not accept that. V'tanyo, there's a second version of what is the quantity of that middle dough that's going to connect the chala on the one side with the tome batter on the other side. How much is in the middle? Kebetza. A, a, a full egg quantity of tohor dough. It, it's important to point out that these sources, one and two, are both according to Rebbe Eliezer. The Chachomim do not accept that. As we go on in the Gemara, you notice triangles. On the side, under the Mivneh heading, these are Hezbeirim, Ama Cholkim, Reblozer Vachachomim. What are they arguing about? Reblozer Matilosim Kebetzachulin Torim Bamsa. Reblozer allows putting a, an egg quantity of Chulin, Tahorim, Tahor Chulin in the middle. Vachachomim, Shaostrim, and we have to find out what are they saying, uh, what is the reason for them, they who prohibit. So structurally, we're going to present several options. It's through the first option that will eventually reveal that Rebbe Lozer holds Ein Sheni Oysi Shlishi Bechulin. Let's see, how, how do we get to that? So now we continue. Savrua. We're going to work with the following assumption. Idi Ve'idi Be'isa Rishona. Both uh, are... Uh, the the Brisa that spoke that speaks about a kabetza in the middle and the Mishnah that spoke about a pachosmi kabetza in the middle, both uh, are addressing a case where the tome dough is a rishon latuma v'chulin hatvulin lechalo lo kechalo domu. The word tvulin is based on the word tevel. Tevel is something untithed. The hunk of dough that you separated from the tohar bowl that you're going to consider the challah tithe, you haven't designated it, let's say verbally, as challah yet. You plan to. You're going to do that. You're going to say, Hareze challah. You're going to say, you're going to make a, a statement of dedication that this is challah. You will, a, a pronouncement. But you haven't done it yet. So what, what it is, that dough, prior to your pronouncement, is essentially chulin with the potential of challah in it. 
That's called Chulin Hatvulin Lechala. How do we look at it? Do we look at it? How do we identify it? Do we identify it as Chulin, namely as it is now? Or do we identify it in terms of its potential, namely it becoming Chala? So we're working with the assumption, our second assumption here is, that Chulin Hatvulin Lechala, Lo Kechala Domu, does not have Chala status. Rather, it has Chulin status. Don't forget, we said a, a quite a bit earlier that Chala, that real Chala, that means truly dedicated, tithed Chala, is the same as Truma. And as we've seen so many times already, Truma is more sensitive to Tuma than Chulin is. So what have we said so far? We have, first of all, the setup. We have a little illustration in the margin uh, d- describing the setup. You've got the Isa, that's Tmeo. You've got um, on the other side, on the right-hand side, you can see you have, we call it Chala, but it's right now it's, it hasn't been pronounced as Chala yet. And then you've got that thing in the middle, which is a, either it's a Kapochos Mikabetza or a Kabetza of Isa Tahora. The assumption right now is, is that the Isa that's Tmeo is a Rishon Latuma. The little piece of dough in the middle is going to become Tomei. It's going to become a Shani. Does it transmit Tuma to the Chala, to that other piece that's going to be declared as Chala? Well, let's continue in the Gemara. My love, Beha Komifligi. Is it not so that the following is the point of controversy? The more Sovar, Rebbe Liezer, who allows putting, even according to the Brisa, according to the source number two, allows putting a full egg quantity of dough in the middle, Ein Sheni Oisishlishi Bechulin. Why does he allow that? Because even though, as a Kebetza, not only does it absorb Tuma, but it Technically speaking, if it were a Rishon, for example, it would pass on Tuma to something else. But what happens over here? It becomes a Shemi because of its contact with the Esau Tameo, which is a Rishon. The thing in the middle becomes a Shemi. And the Chala, which is, as we said, is it's really Chulin Hatavulin the Chala, it has a Chulin, has Chulin status. It remains unaffected. It remains unaffected. So that once I set it up like this, I can then pronounce that the potential chala as being chala. Uh, of course, when you make the pronouncement, uh, 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 let's say a second before the pronouncement, uh, you will you'll take it away. You'll push it off to the side, not leaving it remaining in contact with that piece in the middle. But before you make the Chala pronouncement regarding that, uh, that piece that we've labeled as Chala, before you make the pronouncement, it's essentially Chulin. And what do we see from here? And this is the whole point of bringing this discussion in. That Rebbe Lezer, who allows you putting in even a Kabetza quantity in the middle, it's because though it becomes a Shani, it, the Tuma doesn't go any further. Ain Shani Oysishlishi B'Chulin. Umor Sovar, the Rabbonon, who prohibit, well, they hold Sheni Yosishlishi Bechulin. And if you put a, an egg quantity of Tohor dough 
in contact with the Iso Tomeo, that's a Rishon, so the Iso Tomeo, that's a Rishon, is going to make that middle stuff uh, shiny, and that middle thing is going to then ruin the Chala that you wanted to preserve as Tor. You won't be able to. Now, uh, I should just point out, as far as uh, what is the difference between a ke- having the Kebetza there versus having a Pochos Mikebetza, the idea of having pochos mikabetz, according to the Roman numeral number one, the Mishnah source, it's not because the Mishnah holds that the Shani would make a shlishi, but rather, as Rashi says, how uh, it, the, the Mishnah reflects a, uh, uh, let's say, uh, a philosophy that whatever you can do to minimize tumah, do so. That piece in the middle, it's going to become Tomei, but you're not supposed to metamechulin. The only reason we're allowing this over here is for the sake of accomplishing a proper hafrosha's truma. So, so we're going to compromise the general objection to being metamechulin, but if you're already getting metamechulin, try to metama as little as possible. Therefore, we're telling you to put there a pochus mikabetza. There's another explanation that you can find in Rashi as well, but this is getting off into a bit of a detail, which, for our purposes, we are here to show how Rebbe Lezer holds ein sheni oiseshlishi bechulin, and we've accomplished that by saying the fact that Rebbe Lezer in, in, in Roman numeral two allows you to put a full beitza quantity of tohor dough there, and it will not affect. The, the next piece of dough, which is going to be declared as challah, shows us that The Gemara, though, rejects this analysis of the Machlokes. Omar Rav Mori Braid Rav Kana. The Kule Alma, everyone, even the Rabbonin agree, not just Rebelezer, but even the Rabbonin agree, Ein Sheni Oysishlishi Bechulin. Well, if that's the case, so why would the Rabbanon object to putting a, uh, a kibetza quantity of, of uh, tohor dough in the middle? The challah is not going to get affected. Well, you'll see right now that according to the Rabbanon, it will. According to this version number two, Rav Mori's version is that the definition of that hunk of dough that's going to be declared or pronounced as challah, what is its status right now? That is their controversy between Rebozer and the Chachamim. More sovar kechala domu. The Rabbonan who prohibit setting up the doughs as we did above, the reason for that is because the challah that is as yet un unpronounced, not dedicated as challah, but the fact that it's gonna it's potentially challah, it's treated with a challah standard right now. Now a challah standard is like a truma standard. And that middle piece being in touch with being in contact with the Isotamea is going to become a shani. And a shani will affect challah. So the Rabona don't allow that setup. Umor Sova Rebelezer holds low kahala domu. That chulin hatvulin lechala, chulin that has the latent chala in it, is not viewed as chala. It's viewed as chulin, and we have said already that ain't sheni oisishlishi bechulin. So there's no problem with this setup.
The Ibayasema, third analysis, the Kule Alma, Hulin Hatvulin Lachala Loi Kachaladamu. That we're now uh, saying that everyone holds that, that that's not the point of Machlokis between Blazer and the Chachamim. And what else does everyone hold by? Well, if that's the case, why would the Rabbanan object to having uh, the uh, kibetza of dough in the middle? The hacha bemuter ligrom tumo luchulin shaveret yisrael kamifligi. Here, the machlokus isn't focused on will the chalo be affected. The machlokus is actually focused on that middle piece. More so, Rebbe who says, "Go right ahead and set it up like that, like we dis- like we illustrated above." It is. There's nothing wrong with causing tuma to fall upon chulin. So I'm a tama. I'm defiling that middle piece. No problem. I'm, what am I in effect doing? I'm defiling chulin. Is it going to affect the? The next piece, the challah? No, it's not going to affect it because everyone holds ain shen yoyse b'chulin and that that unpronounced hunk of challah dough is viewed as chulin. It's not viewed as challah. So, if you say that it's muter lidrim tumah l'chum go ahead and set it up like that. But once again, here our focus is on is anything, are we doing anything wrong by putting in that middle piece? You're not allowed to make something that is tohor and make it tomei, even if it happens to be just chulin. Rashi uh, elaborates in his, ex, in his uh, commentary on this sukya, filling in, I'm sure, a lot of questions that you might have which we have not dealt with, uh, the further analysis of the two sources, one and Roman numeral one and two, one said, Pachos Mikbeitza, the other says, Kibetza, why? What's the difference between those two Rebbe sources? But for our purposes, we want to keep things streamlined, and we attempted to show how Rebbe was of the opinion that Ein Sheni Oysa Shlishi Bechulin, and as the Gemara uh, unfolded, it turns out that it's not just Rebbe Yezer, but it's, it, it's the, uh, uh, the Rabbonin agree with that as well. That was, you saw that in stage two of the analysis, and likewise in stage three, that Ein Sheni Oysa Shlishi Bechulin. For our purposes, the difference between stage one and stages two and three is that in stage one we were saying it's only Rebelezer that holds Ain Shadios Shlishi Bechulin, and stage two and three it's not just Rebelezer, it's the Rabbonon as well that uh, that happened to argue with Rebelezer, and we had to explain if they're not arguing over the issue of Ain Shadios Shlishi Bechulin, what are they arguing about? We saw those further explanations in stage two and stage three. We continue in the Gemara. Uh, a cite, uh, citation from the Mishnah. This what dealt with this section of the Mishnah uh, that we're going to quote now dealt with the Levite cities and the resolution of two psukim. One pasuk indicating that there's a thousand amas around the Levi cities, and another pasuk indicating there's two thousand amas around the Levite cities. 
uh, Rabbi Kiva, he, his method of resolving the two psukim is as follows, that 1,000 amas is for the migrash, is to be left uncultivated and, and uh, unbuilt. And the 2,000 is a reference to Tchum Shabbos. 2,000 amas is the distance from which the, 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 the maximum distance a person can walk from the edge of a city outwards on Shabbos. The uh, other Tanaic opinion in the Mishnah said that the 1,000, the Pusik indicating 1,000 Amas around the Levite cities is for Migrash, and the Pusik indicating 2,000 Amas was that the, we'll say the second thousand amas outside the city is for cultivation for ginos and for sodas and pardesim for cultivation purposes for the levium that lived in those cities. The Gemara now says, What's the underlying point of machlokis between Rabbi Akiva on the one hand and Rabbi Lezer on the other hand? More sovar Rabbi Akiva says that the restriction of walking beyond the city boundaries on Shabbos of 2,000 Amas is a Torah-based prohibition. Umar Sava, Rebbe Lezer, who, did, who made no mention of Tchum Shabbos in his uh, description of the 2,000 Amas, he said that the 2,000 Amas was a reference to cultivating that uh, area outside the city. He holds that Tchumen de Rabbonon. The, the uh, restriction of going 2,000 amas on Shabbos beyond the city's limits, that restriction is rabbinic. So Rabbi Kiva holds Tchumen Doraisa and Rabbi Lezer Tchumen Dorabonah. As we go on, we deal with the topic, and you can see on the side of the more we have our Nosei slash Mivne heading. Uh, a diamond appears, and you'll also see the use of a double underline. These are shitos beketzat omru shiras hayam. Different opinions in how the Jewish people, along with Moshe Rabbeinu, recited the shiras hayam. Shiras hayam, maybe you're more familiar with it by referring to it as the, the Oz Yashir. It's part of our daily uh, prayers. The shachris, uh, every shachris, as part of the uh, psuke de Zimra, you say shiras hayam. Tonu Rabbonon. Bo Bayom Dorash Rabikiva. On that day that Rabloza Ben Azari was appointed to Rosh Yeshiva as is featured in Masechah's Brochus, Rabbi Akiva taught Bishosh Olu Yisrael Minayam Nosnu Eneim Lomar Shira. When they ascended from the uh, split sea, they then literally they, they uh, gave their eyes over. In other words, they they looked forward to reciting the Shira. The Ketzalam Roshira. How did they say the Shira? Kegodol Hamakre is Hahalel. Like a Godol, and another couple lines you're going to see another approach that talks about a Cotton Hamakre is Hahalel. A Godol Hamakre Hahalel is in a, let's say, in a public setting. One person recites the Hallel for the congregation. Uh, what do the con- members of the congregation do in that type of setup? So, how is that done? We said kigodol hamakras hahalel, the hain oinin achrov roshe prokim. 
uh, in the case of Hallel, for example, a one person, the designated individual, the, the Godol as referred to here, he would recite line by line uh, the Hallel, and at the end of each, we'll say at the end of each verse that he recites, the congregation will say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah is the, the word that constitutes the beginning of the different paragraphs that make up the Hallel. That's what is meant here by the public response, Hain Oinen Achrov, Roshe Prokim, the beginning uh, of each chapter. Now, in the case of what we want to do is we want to transpose that approach that we find by the Hallel now to the Oz Yashir. Moshe Omar, Oshira Lashem, Fehein Omrim, Oshira Lashem. Moshe Omar ki ga'oi ga'ol. Here Moshe Rabbeinu is continuing <coughs> in the Shiras Hayam. Yeah, he says ki ga'ol which is that which follows the expression of Oshira Lashem. Says Oshira Lashem ki ga'ol. So Moshe would then say ki ga'ol ga'ol. Vehein omrim, and they would say Oshira Lashem. And it would go on uh, phrase by phrase, verse by verse, like that. And each time the the Godol is, is uh, in, in the case of the Shira Sayam, each time Moshe Rabbeinu was saying a, a new phrase of the Shira Sayam, the public responded by saying, Oshira Lashem. That's called responding with Roshe Prokim. The, uh, I know it might sound a little confusing. Uh, we, we assume, Oz Yoshir Moshe, that that's the beginning. No, that's not the beginning of the actual song. That's telling you that when they crossed the sea, that Moshe said the Shira Sayam. What was the content of the Shira Sayam? Well, that begins with, Oshir Lashem. So that's called the Roshe Prokim, the beginning of the chapter. Another opinion. How was the Shura Sayam recited? Rebbe Lezer, Beno, Omer, If a, a person himself doesn't, uh, let's say he doesn't know how to recite the Halel, and uh, all he has around him is a, is a minor, so the minor, the Kotan, can read the Halel for the adult. What does the adult have to do, though? So in the case of the Hallel, the, the minor would say a Pasuk, and the, the adult listener will repeat word for word what the minor said. But then the minor will go on to the next phrase, and the listener, who's a Godot, will then repeat word for word the new phrase. And phrase by phrase, uh, what the Cotton says... Uh, the uh, listener would repeat. Now, how does that work out in the case of the Shiras Hayam? Moisha Omar Oshira Lashem, Vein Omrim Oshira Lashem. Moisha Omar Kiga Oga, Vein Omrim Kiga Oga. In other words, whatever Moshe said, they would repeat. It's in that fashion that the Shiras Hayam was recited. By the way, all of this is based on the word Laymor, and we had seen that in the Mishnah. That it tells us that the recitation of the Shura Sam was done in a we'll call it in a in a special fashion where you had the the community where the nation of Israel were re, were responding to that which Moshe Rabbeinu was saying. In how were they responding? So so far we've seen two opinions. The first opinion said their response was simply to constantly repeat 
the expression Ashiro Hashem, which is called the Rosh Perak. According to the second approach, the public would say whatever Moshe Rabbeinu was saying. They would repeat, phrase for phrase. A third approach would be Nechemya Omer, Kesoifer Hapuris Al Shma Bebesak Nesis. Sofer is a, is a teacher. Uh, children used to learn in shuls. So the Sofers, the child's teachers, they were located in synagogues. And Pores al Shema, without getting into, let's say, literal translations and, and details, the Rashi explains that when the uh, community would get together to recite Kriya Shema, so the Chazan, the one leading the davening, he would say the opening bracha, Boruch Hashem, Elokeinu Melech Olam, Yotzer Or Uvorei Choyshech, Oisei Shalom Uvorei Hakol, and the Tzibor, after hearing him say the opening bracha, they would then say the opening bracha, and everyone would continue reading together. Namely, the Chazan along with the congregation. So that, as far as Rabbi Nechemia is concerned, Moshe Rabbeinu, let's say, functioned on his own only with regard to the opening. Uh, as the source says, Moshe Rabbeinu, in this case, would open up Ashira Lashem Ki Ga'o Ga'o or maybe just say Ashira Lashem and then the Sibur would respond, Oshira Lashem, and then from that point onwards, they would say it all together. Now, what's, uh, of course, you might be asking, how in the world would the Sibur know what to say if they're not hearing it first from Moshe Rabbeinu, but rather saying it simultaneously with Moshe Rabbeinu? So the explanation for that is uh, that the there was a, a, a divine spirit, a type of prophecy that that came over the entire Jewish nation instructing them as to what to say without needing to have heard it first from Moshe Rabbeinu. Hence they were able to say it all together. What's the underlying point of controversy between these three different approaches? Rabbi Kiva Savar Lamor the as we saw in the Pesach Vayomru Lamor so the word uh, Lamor, what is that a reference to? Amilsa Kamaisa. And according to Bekiva, the Jewish people were instructed to say the opening phrase each time. Each time Moshe Rabbeinu moved on to a new phrase, they would say Milsa Kamaisa, the first phrase. Rebeloza Benoshu Rabbiosa Glili, Savar Lamor, Akol Milsa Umilsa. That they were instructed to say phrase by phrase whatever Moshe Rabbeinu said they would have to say Rabbi Nechemia Savar Vayomru remember the Pesach says Vayomru Lemor so he focuses on the word Vayomru as well as Lemor and what is his conclusion Vayomru means the Amur Kulhu Bahadi Hadodi Vayomru they are all to say it together Lay more. What does that teach me? The Pasach Moshe Beresha. That he would open up by himself, the Tzibur, listening to that opening phrase. They would say the opening phrase, and then from that point onwards, they would all say it together, as is derived from the word Vayomru.
Tonu Rabbonon. Before we continue, we should note on the side we have a topic heading, which reads, Afilu Hatinoikos Omru Hashiro. We're going to see in this source that even very young, and in fact, one we'll see an opinion, even the unborn said Shira. Uh, said this uh, uh, Shira's Hayam. Dorash Rabbi Yosei She Olu Yisrael Min Hayam. Nosno Ineim Lomar Shira. As the Jewish people ascended from the uh, split sea, they desired to say song. The Ketzad Omru Shira. How did they recite this special song of praise? Oilel Mutol Al Birke Imo, Vitinok Yoinek Mishte Imo. The Oleil is a is a, a toddler. He's uh, older than a Tinok. A Tinok is an infant that's nursing. Oleil, a little bit older. So the, the Oleil uh, lying on its mother's knees, the Tinok nursing from its mother's uh, breasts. Kevon Shiro is a Shechina, when they noted, they saw, they perceived the divine presence. The, the uh, toddler picked up its uh, neck, raised its head, the infant uh, stopped suckling, the Omru, and they said, This this is a, they had, they had clarity, uh, uh, they, they recognized, this is the divine presence, this is God, and I will exalt him. Uh, of course, when we see things like this, one has to understand it's not as if there's some form that they saw, but it's a, it's a, it's a type of spiritual recognition of an intense uh, divine presence. And they, they noted that. And if you look back on the Yud Aleph uh, Omid Beis, uh, there's reference made over there to how the Mitzrayim uh, oppressed the newborns uh, they were uh, they were absorbed into the ground miraculously as the midstream were trying to to trample them and uh, they experienced the divine presence at that time so you can rest assured that uh, they were able to recognize uh, the divine presence uh, later on truth is though that those were infants in Mitzrayim here we have infants at the crossing of the sea sometime later Nevertheless, this uh, was the association that we're making is this uh, recognition on the part of the very young of the Shechina. And how do you know, how does this, uh, how does Rabbi Yosef really know this? Shenemar, it says in the Pesach, from the mouths of, uh, of toddlers and, suck, and, and suckling ones, Yisadetaos, uh, you established strength. Hoya Rebbe Meir Omer, Minayin Shafilu Ubrim Shemei Iman Omer From where do you know that even the as yet unborn, the Ubrim are fetuses in the in the wombs of their mothers? They said Shira Shenemar. The pasuk says we continue at the top of Daf Lamed Aleph. Bemakelos Bochu Alakim Hashem Mimakor Yisrael. So you have Makelos is a gathering of people as they gathered on the sea. They uh, praise God from where? Mimakor Yisrael Makor is the womb from the, literally it has to do with a source. It's the source from which a human being emerges. From there, even as yet unborn, they were praising the Almighty. Bo Bayom, and here we continue with uh, another quote from the Mishnah. And the focus here is with regard to Eov. 
was his service of God out of love or out of fear? The Mishnah had quoted the Pasuk, Hain Yiktileni Loi Ayachel. The gist of that Pasuk is that they can be killing me, and nevertheless, uh, and then Lo, and then I hear the problem is how do we deal with that word? Ayachel. Ayachel is to, uh, to uh, pray toward, to hope for, to be connected with. So, the Gemara, first we quote the Mishnah, We had the two opinions in the Mishnah. How did Eov serve God? Did he serve him out of fear or out of love? The Gemara is going to ask, why is there any doubt about the service of Eov, if it's a question of how to understand the Pasuk, why not just look in the Torah and see? Look in the scriptures, that is, and see whether the word lo is spelled Lamed Vav, or is it spelled Lamed Aleph? If it's spelled lo, ayachel Lamed Vav, that means that even if I'm being killed, I still look forward to God. That is a sign of extreme devotion and love. If it's spelled Lamed Aleph, then he's saying, as they're killing me, I have no need to look forward to God anymore. A sign of distancing himself. Certainly not an expression of love. So the Gemara asks, let's read it now inside. Why not just look into the uh, scriptures and see? E Belamed Aleph Ksiv Lohu. If it's spelled with an aleph, then it's lo, meaning it's negation. I won't look forward to God anymore. E balamid vov ksiv. And if it's spelled with a vov, then lo, who? Then it's him. I am looking forward to him, even in my most dire of straits. The Gemara responds that just by looking at the way the word is written is not going to solve our dilemma or our doubt. Where the word is spelled Lamed Aleph, does that necessarily mean negation? There's a Pesach that says, That in all of their troubles, Lo, Lamed Aleph, Tsar. Tsar means uh, to feel the, the pain. Dichtiv b'lamed aleph. It's spelled with lamed aleph. Hachinami delohu. Are you going to say that in fact that when the Jewish people are suffering, so the Almighty Kaviyachol doesn't feel any sense of uh, strife or of of uh, of pain? And if you say, yeah, that's what it means that when the Jews are suffering, uh, God doesn't feel any pain. Kaviyachol. But you can't say that. That's not that's not the pshat in the pasuk. That's not the explanation. The haksiv, the continuation of the pasuk says, "Umalach panav hoshiam," that there is the that the Almighty sends uh, a, an angel to save them. Ela mashmahachi, The word, even if it's spelled lamed aleph, can have a connotation of negation, and it can be a an expression of of uh, wonderment of 
like low tsar in this case? Is, is he not concerned? Does he not feel their pain? Or like with regard to Eov, uh, they could be killing me and I'm, I'm not going to look forward to God. Of course I am. So that it can go this way or that way. And hence, the uh, there was we'll say there was room for argument we saw in the Mishnah. Rabbi Yeshua ben Hurkanus was convinced that Eov was serving God out of Ahava, out of love. And uh, it's true that Rabbi Yochum ben Zake was presented later in the Mishnah as saying that no, Eov was serving God only out of fear. Tanya, Rabbi Meir Omer, Nemar Yerei Elokim, Eov, Nemar Yerei Elokim, Bavrom. In, with regard to both of these personalities, you find the expression Yerealikim. Ma Yerealikim Homur Bavrom just like the expression Yerealikim, which Yerei, Yura, generally is translated as fearing, but in the case of Avram, we know that he didn't serve God out of fear. So, uh, just because we know by Avram, his service of God was out of love. So, Af Yerealikim Omur Yov Me'avo. So too, though the term Yerealikim appears by Eov, one should recognize that Eov's service to God was out of love. And Avram itself, how do you know that he was serving God out of love? The Pesach describes the, the seeds of Avram, the one that loved me. My what difference is there uh, between one who serves out of love versus one who serves out of fear? Ika ha desanya. There is the following difference that's taught in this source. Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, greater is one who fulfills the will of Hashem out of a sense of love and devotion, more so than one who does so out of a sense of fear. The merits of one who serves out of fear lasts, will, will serve to benefit a thousand generations. One who serves God out of love, will the, his merits will serve to benefit even two thousand generations. Hochaksiv la lofim lo havai See, the word la'alofim is the word thousand in, in plural form, so it's at least two thousand. And the Pasuk in Dvarim says, Ulushemrei mitzvosav le'elef dor. Shomrei mitzvosav is taken to mean yira. Yira, Rashi points this out, so that in the Aleph Pasuk, we have in Pasuk Beis, you have only 1,000 generations will benefit from this individual's merit. The Gemara asks, but Hosom Nami Ksiv Loavov Ulu Shomrei Mitzvosov Dor. So you see, the Elef Dor is found in the Pasuk, but simply by reading one word before that which was quoted in the source, you see the presence of Lo'ohavav. The Gemara says that doesn't present the problem. Hai l'desomech lei v'hai l'desomech lei. If you look at the two psukim that we quoted, the word Ohavai, in the, where the Aleph is, just a couple lines up, 
It's true in that pasuk. You also saw shomre, which is an expression of yira. But which word is next to lalafim? The word ohavai. In the bays pasuk, which word is closest to elifdor? It's true in that pasuk. It said lo ahavav ule shomre elifdor. But in that pasuk, the Eleft or the mere one thousand generations, that is closest to Samech to Shomre, the ones that fear. Hence our conclusion that when it comes to serving out of Ava, the merit lasts for two thousand generations. Serving out of fear, the merit lasts for one thousand generations. Hanotre Tamidi, the Havuyasvi Kame the Rova. There were two students seated in the presence of Rova. One said, I was shown in my dream. Literally, it was read to me in my dream. That was the Pesach that he heard in his dream. And the other one said, it was, I was, uh, it was recited to me in my dream. So, Rava, upon hearing these two reports, says, both of you are completely righteous individuals. The difference between you is that one, you, one serves out of love and the other serves out of a sense of fear. As you can see, with the Siata Dishmaya, so we've reached the end of the fifth parak of Sota. With that, we conclude our Shior for today.